I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke, the first chapter, verses 26 to 38. This past week, someone, I don't know where I got it from, but it showed up on my reading high chair. I have a high chair in the living room or in the dining room where things that somebody wants me to read sometimes show up. And somebody sent me... Um, a section from uh, the Indianapolis Star, and I don't know why there are a number of articles that were interesting, but I assume because of this article called Mary Gaines' Favor with Protestants. It shows at the top a picture of uh, a T-shirt and the logo off the T-shirt, which is Mary with a halo around her head and things radiating out. She has a... uh, something on her neck. And then it says, Mary is my home girl. And it's about the Virgin Mary. And I want to just read an excerpt from this article. Uh, It says, if you if you want to find those Mary is my home girl shirts, you can check the online site teenagemillionaire.com. So just if some of you women. Here's an excerpt. In the past, there have been reservations about what some people see as Mariolatry or seeming to worship Mary, said the Reverend James Lyon, pastor of Good Shepherd Episcopal Church in Columbia. So this is a Protestant, a Reformed Protestant. The Anglican Church actually is Reformed. Um, And he's telling us that in the past, people were concerned about the worship of Mary, what In the past, the reformers referred to as Mariolatry. But we're beyond that. He says, quote, the new position is that there's nothing wrong with appropriate devotion. The key is to keep in mind that Mary, and this is my favorite word in the article, that Mary can, that Mary can be seen as someone who points the way toward her son, Jesus Christ. Now, you might not understand why I take such a delight in that word can. But I mean, what a weak word. Can, she may, she might. It's possible. How would you sum up Mary? That she, in the best of circumstances, all things being equal, might. The key is to keep in mind that Mary can be seen as someone who points the way toward her son, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if Mary heard that or she read it? Yeah, I guess that's something I could do. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. All right, I'll continue. None of this surprises members of the Protestant and Catholic communities who see Mary as an important spiritual figure for today's Christians. Quote, none of these Protestants, mind you. Quote, Mary is an intercessor for the people of God. Now, they do go on and say this, a model of submission. This is true and obedience to the will of God for the whole Christian church. No question about that. And then they end with this statement about this Protestant, Reformed and Protestant church. They say, Lion's Church recites the rosary, a Mary-related devotional prayer once a week, and for several years it has taken part in a group recitation of the rosary with members of St. Joseph Catholic Church. Now, You'll know if you come here often that I am very concerned that 
the errors of our church or of Lutherans or of Roman Catholics, Presbyterians, and there are many, many errors of Presbyterians. And if you ever question that I am not concerned about the errors of Presbyterians or Baptists, I assure you, I'm always harder on... It doesn't mean that I've become righteous over the course of my life. I start with myself, then my own family, my own church, my own denomination. All right, that's where it starts. But we must be on guard against all things feminine in this day because, as you know, this is one of the greatest battlegrounds we face. Many of you have seen uh, the new book that Maureen Dowd, this uh, columnist for the op-ed pages of the New York Times, has written recently asking the question, you know, do we need men? Um, and fortunately, Maureen says yes. Um, but our culture really doesn't think it needs men. And when they say what kind of men they need, it's not men. It's not real men. Uh, the only place that re- needs real men is uh, the Indianapolis Colts. In other words, the place that you relegate real men to is sports. They're safe there because they have other men that are ready to blow the whistle if they get out of hand. You know? But certainly we don't need real men in the church <laughs> because we all know that women run the churches. Did you know this? Women do run churches. And uh, so we look back and we have our men at a safe distance. They're on, on the football field. Um, they're in the military, although even those men are getting civilized, which is to the detriment of our nation. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, and then you have men in the Middle Ages, in the time of the Reformation, and you have real men in the book of Galatians. And you have men standing on the top of the mountain with the prophets of Baal. You know, men like Elijah and Elisha. In other words, they're always at a distance. You know, they're where they're safe. And uh, there we allow them to kill and to be killed, to pray and to prevail in prevailing prayer. We allow them to. And so I'm here to tell you today that, that the battle over the meaning of femininity is a battle that is absolutely at the center of our culture. And it's a battle that also the meaning of being men is also at stake at. And I think there are a few things that are more directly aimed as a, as a silver bullet at this battle than uh, this woman, Mary, who was blessed by God by give, being given uh, in her womb uh, the Christ child. And uh, to take Mary and to pervert her by making her an object of prayer and an object of worship Don't believe the fancy words that this is just an appropriate devotion. It's worship. When we were down at the Terry Schiavo um, uh, killing in Florida and spent a few days down there, I want you to know that it was very clear that Mary was the center of the attention of the people all around us. The, The prayers to her were incessant. They were loud. Uh, they, they were just overwhelming. And uh, you were thankful for others there witnessing against the murder of Terry, but you were appalled to see how Christianity had been a cult to a feminine figure uh, who would herself be the first to reject it. And so I ask you to go back and consider the fact that uh, here we have an article in the Annapolis Star talking about Reformed Protestants now saying the rosary with Roman Catholics. And ask yourself, is this what we've come to? Is this the truth? Have Protestants just been a little bit too rigid for the last four centuries? Am I being a little bit too rigid? 
people look at me sometimes and they say, where did this species come from? And I say to you, I'm just a normal Reformed Protestant. I do, uh, the only thing I do that's weird is wear a bow tie. Every, all the doctrines I hold to are boringly normal. Anybody before my generation would just yawn over me. You know, really. And so I ask you, what about this movement back to Mary? This is not something that's at a distance from us. This is something that your hearts will be seduced by, your children themselves will be seduced by the Roman Catholic doctrine of Mary. Now, you ask me why I say that, and I tell you, within this very church, within our tradition, is someone who now spends his time arguing in favor of Mary being a co-redemptrix. If you know anything about the Catholic Church, you know what that means. And this is something that among ourselves is a danger, because once we turn away from the biblical doctrine of Mary, we're vulnerable to anything that will give us a place to stand in this day when sexuality is at the center of our culture wars. So I ask you at the beginning of this time of studying God's word, number one, do you care to have real men? Do you care to have them say no to things? Is there something to say no to about the cult of Mary today in the Roman Catholic Church? Is that cult seductive to Protestants? Is that cult seductive to Presbyterians? And the answer is yes. So then what does Scripture have to say to us? Not what do I have to say to us, but what does Scripture have to say to us? Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke 1, beginning with verse 26, we'll see. This is the Word of God, and it's eternally true. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. By the way, this name is the same name as Miriam. And uh, it comes down to us usually as Mary, but it's also Miriam. And coming in, he said to her, the angel, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, brothers and sisters, you know that around us are counties that we don't know the name of. And one of those counties that we don't care to know the name of is Greene County. Now, if I were to ask you what characteristics Greene County has that are commonly known, not the kind that would be brought up in a sermon in a worship service, but that are commonly known, what would you say? What, what do you have to say about Greene County, anyone? What is it? It's Greene. All right, yeah, yeah, it is Green County. Thank you, Dan, our environmentalist there right at the bat. <laughs> Come on, Dan, what else do you know about Green County? 
It's rural. Yes, that is that is a nice thing to say about it. Bucolic. Huh? Green tucky. So that's what people really say about it. And I guess that that is uh, a compliment because Kentucky is honored. <laughs> no, for those of you not from Indiana, Kentucky's not honored. Yes, George. Huh? Oh, Crane. Okay, yeah, the Crane Naval Research Center is over in Greene County. You guys are not, come on. Come on, tell me. It's Redneck. What else? Are blacks in Greene County? Blacks would not want to live in Greene County. Why? Okay, slow drivers. Why would blacks not want to live in Greene County? Somebody yesterday told me they didn't think there were any in the eastern part. Would they be well cared for in Greene County? Probably not, would they? Now, what does that get at with Greene County? Well, Greene County is despised by Monroe County. Come on, you guys. You all know this, right? Is there somebody here that didn't know this? Well, you're from out of town, right? You didn't know this? Oh, okay. All right. All right. David uh, Dodrell. Oh, he's at home. Would you tell us what Green County is like, please, Catherine? And how does Bloomington look at Green County? Down on them. That's right. Okay, every place in the world has this. All right? You know, you go into the chicken coop, right. You've got the ascendant and you've got the subordinate. And this is always the way it is with people. And in, in the time of Christ, in Palestine, there were three sections, uh, Galilee, Judea, and Samaria. And Samaritans, you know how they were looked at. Galilee was called Galilee of the Gentiles. And that gives you an idea what the attitude towards Galilee was. It was, it was. it was negative. Now, the town that they're from is the town of Nazareth. And I don't know what town it is in Greene County that's looked down on within Greene County, but there's undoubtedly a town. What town would it be? Lynn? Linton? Linton. Okay. Is that what it is, Terry? Okay, Linton. So, okay, we look down on Greene County. Greene County looks down on Linton, and undoubtedly there's a bad side of the tracks in Linton. Okay? Now, here's the deal. This is exactly where God chose to select a woman to give birth to his son. Okay, God did not select Bloomington. He did not select Indianapolis. He selected Greene County, and then he selected Linton. Now, what does that tell you about Mary? That God roamed all over the world to find a vessel who was, what, perfect enough for his son? This is what the Roman Catholic doctrine makes it into. And the only place he could come up with her was in Green County in Linton. No, it's not the truth. The truth is that God placed his grace on Mary and that she was favored by him. But the principal thing you need to know is the work of God that he did in her, not the work of God that she had done in herself that had caused her to be a vessel that was good enough for Jesus. 
That's just not the biblical teaching. You know where in here do you find this? She was full of grace. What is grace? Grace is what? Unmerited favor. And so Mary is not somebody who, you know, God waited until a period of time in history came where one woman would rise ascendant above all the other women and he would see in this woman finally a fitting vessel. And she would be protected from all sin and she would be bodily assumed up into heaven and then all people everywhere could be devoted to her and it would look like prayer and worship, but it wouldn't really be because all of us would have this soft feminine principle through whom we could approach this hard masculine principle of God and his holiness. Do you understand this? This is just not good. It's not right. And what it does is it does violence to Mary. Because Mary, you look at her response to this, and she's confused, she's wondering, she has no idea what's going on. And isn't that exactly what a woman from Greene County and a woman from Linton in Greene County would think and how she would respond when she was told that God had filled up her womb with this child who was going to be the Messiah? Now, what's the implication of this for us? Well, the implication of it is that we have to have nothing to do with feminism. You could not define a principle that is more in direct opposition to everything Mary truly is in feminism. Here's an idea. Across history, you have men and husbands oppressing their wives, right? So let's come up with a doctrine whereby we can end all that. And the doctrine will be that, that women will now fight for all they're meant to be, which is the title of one of the most famous evangelical feminist tracts written by uh, Letha Scanzoni, who used to live here in Bloomington, was a sociology professor, and Virginia Ramey Mollencott, who is now a committed homosexual. And so this book went all over the evangelical world. All were meant to be. All Mary was meant to be. So Mary, what? She comes out with her sword. She fights, you know. She gets a Ph.D. She goes out there and she grabs life with all the gusto that she can. I mean, that's feminism, Right? You know, you compete with men on their terms, and finally, you, you don't have to be oppressed anymore. You develop your potential. You're not beholden to your husband. Your husband goes to work. You go to work. He carries a briefcase. You carry a briefcase. He enlists in the army. You enlist in the army. And you have a position of power from which to be all you're meant to be. Do you understand this? I mean, this is so much a part of our culture. I feel like a fool describing it to you. You know, but this is feminism. And then you have Mary, who was completely stupid, who was completely um, despised and meek, uh, who did not consider things loftier than herself, um, who, you know, was not waiting to move to Los Angeles. You get the point? Mary was content where she was. She was going to marry someone also from Nazareth. And it wasn't a muckety-muck. It was was a carpenter. She was betrothed to him. Mary was not out seizing her destiny. (laughs) Her destiny seized Mary. Now listen. Mary is not lacking in application to our lives. The Bible tells us that Mary was a humble woman who was a virgin was a virgin. She had not been impure with her betrothed. And betrothal was a much more intense commitment than our engagement today. She had been pure. And this woman had the angel come to her and her response is, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And she's confused. The angel says, look, don't fear. And even that, would feminists 
ever lower themselves to fear? That's the whole point of feminism is not to fear. And yet she didn't fear. And neither do I. And so here we have this woman who gave herself as an offering to the Lord. And the Lord saw her. He saw her heart. He saw her love for him. He saw her meekness. He saw her gentleness. He saw her poverty. He saw the city. He saw the county that she lived in. And he had mercy on her. And he filled her with grace. Not grace that she deserved, but grace that he set upon her. And then he gave her a child in her womb. And this child was the Messiah. This child was the one who rescued us from death. Now, that's femininity. That's Mary. And we must not make the mistake of worshiping her. We must not make the mistake of trying to do fancy footwork between adoration and, and veneration and you know, all this sophisticated wordplay whereby you can continuously pray to her and say the rosary and deny that you're worshiping her. We must not do that. That's the error. But on the other side, we must not give ourselves to feminism thinking that if we just work hard to get degrees, to carry a rifle, to get enough money, to carry a briefcase, whatever it is that you think is going to make you independent of men, that's wrong too. They're both wrong. They're errors in the opposite direction. And when we, when we fall into those errors, what we end up doing is we end up cheapening uh, the meaning of femininity and we cheapen the meaning of this woman, Mary. Um, it's interesting to me that when the angel is asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answers what? If you look at the text, the angel says, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. You know, if I was Mary and I had asked this question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And I got an answer like that. I, I, I might feel that I hadn't gotten an answer because you still don't know how it's going to happen. It's mysterious. And so you go into the Old Testament and you look at the book of Deuteronomy and verse 29 of chapter 29, and it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. And it's the first half of this verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, that we have to remember about this. We can desire to know much more than Scripture tells us about a number of things. But here she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? We remember that the secret things belong to God. And we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5. And there we find this statement. It says, just as you do not know the path of the wind... And how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. And you think about the true power of femininity, which is that God uses women to make human life. 
And what a mystery this is. And it's a secret thing. The Bible itself says we don't know. It's a secret thing. And then we come to this text where it says in verse 5, you do not know the path of the wind or how and how bones are formed in the womb. And then I immediately think what? What do you think of right there? Well, my mind takes me to John chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, where it says Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And you think of Mary saying, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She understands where babies come from. And then you go to the secret things. And then you go to saying all babies are secret things. And God alone knows and is the creative force. And then Jesus says we have to be born again. And he says this also is a matter of the wind. It's a secret thing. And then you see as you come here in verse 35, you see it talks about uh, in Luke uh, let me go there. In Luke one thirty-five, it says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And so here we have the best description that Mary could be given. It does not explain it, but it does answer it. And it is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, I want to end by calling your attention uh, to Kristen. You heard me pray and thank God for her meek and her gentle spirit. And so God has not left us without testimony. God has given us Mary, and God has given us as a church Mary who are here in our midst. And I could name a number of them. Um, but I think it's fitting that we look at this young woman today who has come forward and has professed her faith in Jesus Christ and has been baptized. And I want to ask you, those of you who are women, whether you honor women like this, do you honor Mary? Do you call her blessed? This woman who, the reason she's known is that she had the joy but also the terrible sorrow of being the mother of this, this son who ended his life on the cross and who, as he was hanging on the cross, dying, uh, gave her over to his beloved disciple John to care for. Is this woman somebody that you love and that you call blessed, that you cultivate in your heart an awareness of her character, of her traits, of her commitments? Um, If this is a woman whose character is precious to you, it has to have implications for your life today. It has to. You have to make a conscious decision that you're going to seek from God the character traits of this humble and meek woman. Because nothing you read in a magazine, no pictures facing you in a, in a supermarket are going to call you in that direction. You ask yourself what birth and what pregnancy in America would be noted today? Some woman, some famous actress this last week or two weeks ago or sometime gave birth to a baby who somebody's talking about what the baby's name might be. 
And some of you know what I'm talking about. I don't know who the actress is, and I don't remember what the name they think that child might be, but I do know it's a famous person, a famous woman today. You think that in Jerusalem that they had magazines that had Mary's picture on it and people were guessing what the name of the child would be? <laughs> no. And who, who was the birth announced to? Semi-drivers at a Union 76 truck stop or a Petrotux truck stop. Brakeman on a train. You know, this is Mary. Do you love Mary? Do you call her blessed? This has implications for your life. It has implications for me. I either pass over Mary and and say a a bunch of sweet nothings that make you feel all goo-goo, and then everybody leaves here happy, or I really tell you what Mary's like, and some people don't leave here happy. But that's the nature of Scripture. And then this, I ask you, do you want children that are like Mary? Do you want a daughter who is meek and who is humble? Is that what you want? Are you training, you who are mothers or will be mothers, are you going to train your daughters to be like Mary? And then you husbands, is that the kind of wife you want or do you want a wife that's independent of you emotionally and financially and in every way you possibly can so you don't feel the burden of having to care for Mary like Joseph did? Are you going to be a man who's going to provide for this child and for this child's mother? Are you going to honor women who their strength is their weakness? Or do you want your wife to seize it with all the gusto she can? Well, that's the sermon this week. Um, I think that it's a fitting sermon after what we heard um, Pastor Carell say to his son and to his daughter-in-law yesterday. I was inspired in preparing by remembering the particular verse that he chose to read. If you'll turn to the book of 1 Peter with me. The particular verse that David singled out, Pastor Carell, as he preached to his son and to his daughter-in-law. He read the section of 1 Peter chapter 3, and then he singled out verse 4. And he said, let it be, speaking of the endowment of the godly woman, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of what? Of Of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is what? which is precious to God. That's what God says is precious. So, Kristen, where are you? Would you see? There you have it. She ain't here. She's in the nursery. So... I'm glad God's treasured us as a congregation and me as a pastor and our elders with Kristen and the church with Mary. And I call all of you who are women and men to honor this woman as she was, not as we'd like her to be, soft feminine principle that comes between us and God or a woman out there seizing her destiny. But Mary, this gentle and quiet spirit, let's pray. 
Father, we thank you.